And one of the problems about it is that being men, we make it all about sex. We make it all about the fact that she's had five husbands already and this is now her sixth. And clearly she is a very immoral woman. Well, you're on very dangerous territory there because a man couldn't, uh, a man was not divorced by his wife. Women didn't do the divorcing, men did. And so the story that you've got here is the story not of a woman who is acting immorally. You've got the story, <coughs> the story of a woman who is being mistreated. Very different kind of story. And in this story, you've got four things that Jesus is trying to say. And all of them are really, really, really uncomfortable for men, not for women. So I know I'm running on dangerous territory, but here we go. In those 42 verses that start John chapter 4, what Jesus is trying to say is four things. The first is, spiritual food is not what you digest. It's not what you eat. It's what you do. That the gospel is not about what you know. It's about how you act. And the spiritual food is not to be eaten, but it's to be experienced. So Jesus is hungry. So he sends his disciples off to get food. And he stays behind. And there's this woman he gets into a conversation with who's a Samaritan. And he asks her for a drink. He never gets the drink. But he asks her for one. And that's what the story is all about. He never gets food or drink from the woman. Because food and drink to Jesus is not what you digest. It's what you do. It's who you are. And that's the amazing thing about my Jesus. He always does what you don't expect. And the food, well, when the disciples get back, he says, where's the food? And they haven't got any. Jesus says, well, it's all right, because my food is to do the will of God. Oh, he's being spiritual. Yes, he was. <laughs> because what the will of God is, is food and drink to us. That's why you get a verse here. Uh, yeah, okay, I get into real trouble when I do John 4 because you see it's not true. Scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's not true. No self-respecting Jew would go through Samaria. You go around it because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The reason you'd go around Samaria was to avoid Samaritans. Because what happened when in 722 uh, Israel was taken over uh, and the great exodus began and the Jews were part by part moved from the land, people took over the land and the people who took over intermarried 
and the, with the Jews, and the product of that were called Samaritans. And so Jews and Samaritans would never meet because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You got it. So the one thing Jesus wouldn't do is go through Samaria. Problem. If you want to get from the south to the north, the quick way is through Samaria. So the fact that Jesus isn't going through Samaria is creating a problem because that's the natural way but he's not going to do it to avoid the Samaritans and yet you've got this story of how he meets with one Samaritan got it? it's very straightforward but then you've got the big problem a Samaritan woman arrives and what it's all about is Jesus meeting this one Samaritan woman so the food is the will of God. The will of God is what we're here for. We are not here to have a nice time, a good church, be happy people, and enjoy what we're doing. We're here to go out on a limb, reach our community, bring this world into the love of Jesus, show people who he is, what he would do, and show transformed families by the love of God, and show what it means to be a transformed people. That's the will and purpose of God. That's our bread and butter, if you like. That's our food. That's what we're here for. And so directly, our food is to do the will of God. Problem. Most Christians don't want to do that. They want God to do their will. So when we pray, we always pray, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? Take us your way. Lead us in your direction. Do we? I thought it was, Lord, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Now I want you to bless and make it all possible and make it happen. So I'm not quite sure who is God and who is the one asking God for something. Because it sounds awfully like we're God asking for our will to be fulfilled. And that's where you get into the story of the Good Samaritan or the bad Samaritan, if you want, because this woman is all about falling in line with the will of God. What we are all about is getting God to fall in line with us. I know you're not really like that, but most of us are, and that's part of the problem. Secondly, if we're trying to actually get God to fall in line with us, and what we're also trying to do is achieve things in his name, doing things for God. That's what we think Christianity is all about. And yet Jesus starts talking in a way that's absolutely ridiculous. He starts talking about the will of God being something that can only be fulfilled by the Spirit of God. He talks about the Spirit and truth of God going together. And that's again where Christians have problems because God the Father we get, God the Son we get, God the Holy Spirit is a big problem. I don't know if you've heard the story about the guy, uh, the rector who went to an English school to talk to the children one morning. And he went for their morning prayer in the morning. And when he arrived, he was told that they were going to 
do what they normally do, which was recite the catechism for him. And so one little lad gets up and says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And the next one gets up and says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And through and through, until they get to the Holy Spirit. And there's a deathly hush. And someone turns to the rector and says, we're very sorry, sir. The boy who believes in the Holy Spirit isn't here today. <laughs> and that is very like what has happened to the Church of Jesus Christ. We've got hold of God the Father, we've got hold of God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit is a problem. So much so that we call him the Holy Ghost because that just makes it even stranger. And we try desperately to avoid the reality that what God is about is a people full of the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the direction of the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live their lives in the love and mercy of God. It's an amazing truth that what God wants is a people who do the will of God, that's bread and butter to them, and a people who do it not in their strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit starts working, you get real difficulty, because he does what you don't want to. And he does it in ways you don't want to do it, and he does it for ends and means that you might be very skeptical about. Because my biggest problem with God is he doesn't often agree with me. And that's really inconvenient. Because God is supposed to fall in line with life's will, not the other way around. This is a real difficulty. Falling in line with the will of God and letting the Spirit of God do what he wants. It was one Christmas. And we were living in London like all sensible people. And... <clears throat> I had a job. I wasn't unemployed. I didn't have a local church. My job is I was responsible for the evangelical churches in England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, which is kind of demanding. That meant a third of our member churches were Anglican, uh, a third were Baptist, and a third weren't sure what they were. But <laughs> trying to do that and hold people together and minister within the community was a, a great opportunity. It had its difficulties, but the biggest difficulty was going home one day and finding that Ruth was sitting there saying, darling, I've had a telephone call. Well, I'd been out walking the dog and the children. We had four. Uh, for the purposes of this story, you've got to have more detail. The oldest was Vicky, she was 21. The next was Chris, he was 18. The next was Gavin, he was 16. And the babe was Susie, she was 13. And I said, well, you've had a telephone call? She said, yes. I said, where from? She said, America. I said, oh, who was it? Because I used to work for Billy Graham, and that meant the calls from the States weren't unknown. But this call was not from the Graham Association. It was from an organization called World Relief. Now, World Relief is one of the big five here in the States, relief and development agencies for the churches. And uh, it's the one for the evangelical churches throughout the US. Uh, and I said, what did they want? We said, you. I said, well, what was the request? She said, they want us to come for interview, for you to be president of World Relief. Well, we'd made no application for this, and so I looked very, very skeptical. 
and said, when is it? She said, next month. Now, I've got to explain about my wife that she has always had a very quiet vow in her heart, and that is, I don't mind you working for an American, I don't mind you going to the States, but I'm not. <laughs> if you know Ruth, you'll know she's very passive and pliable. And so, uh, I said, so we've got to go for an interview. She said, yes. I said, oh dear. She said, no, I think this could be right. Now, I'd been 14 years at the Evangelical Alliance and I had no desire to leave. But the problem with serving Jesus is you do whatever he tells you, not what you want. For further instructions, read John chapter 2, verse 5, when the stewards at the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee are told very simply by Mary, do whatever he tells you. And so we started to pray. We got the children to pray. And the children are very godly, very passive, very quiet, just like the mother. And the instruction that I gave them was pray, and what they did was voiced what they thought. Chris said, go to the US to live and work. How can a God of love break up a family like ours? Gavin, his younger brother, said, if that's the kind of God we love and serve, he can get stuffed. <laughs> Vicky was just going off to India as a missionary, and so that was fine. She was pretty passive about it. Susie said, America, school, me. <laughs> so the attitudes were very mixed. We started to pray. We went for interview. And to our amazement, and everybody else has accepted the job. The problem with that, of course, was that the, kid, the boys had always said, if you want to go to America, you can go on your own because they couldn't go with schooling. It's just not possible to change from one pattern to the other. So that left us having to go to the US without our boys. Susie going off to the US with us to go to school, Vicky going to India, and this was incredible. And it broke up the family forever. We've never been together since, on a permanent basis. The, the boys are very godly. I mean, Chris said, if that's the kind of God we love and serve, he can get stuffed. But they lived with it. We put them into other people's homes for accommodation. We watched them going through school. And we've never been a united family since. That was 25 years ago. I need to explain that um, Gavin today has my old job. He's head of the evangelical churches in the United Kingdom. Something that would never have happened if we'd still been over there. Chris is head of communications for one of the oldest missions in Britain. Both the boys love Jesus, despite the fact that they both announced they would leave church the day we went to the States. God turned it all around because God does. But you've got to learn that you and I are supposed to fall in line with the will of God, not the other way around. And that we're there to be obedient servants and to follow God in his direction. And to allow God then to work by his spirit and give us the strength and what we need to fulfill his will and purpose for our lives. 
and that God is the one supposed to be in charge, not us. And we're supposed to one day be able to look back and say, my goodness, I wouldn't have chosen that. But God really did get it right. The third thing that happens to this woman is she goes back to her village and she brings the village to Jesus. The way she does it is very simple. She stands up and makes the most stupid sermon ever given. She says, come and see a man. And they must have said, not another one. Haven't you had enough? And then she says, who told me everything I ever did? Could this be the Christ? And there's something about her face. There's something about her attitude. There's something about who she's become that really touches people's hearts and lives and they get the message. She has met somebody very, very different. And he really has changed her life. Jesus says, look at the fields. They're ripe and ready for harvest. They weren't, they were green. There's lots of surprises in this story and lots of apparent contradictions and lots of apparent mistakes. And I can take you to those fields and show you that this was three months away from the harvest. There would not have been any ripened corn. The fields would have been green. What Jesus is saying is, my Jesus says, look, look at the fields, not at the green corn, but at the people running through them. They're ripe and ready for harvest. They certainly were. Because when they met Jesus, they were going to acknowledge him. And what is going to happen is that Samaria is going to be transformed in those few moments by a woman who apparently was too immoral for normal conversation, and yet who changed her, her village and changed her world under the power of God. Three simple, easy things. Let God direct your life. Don't tell him what he's got to bless. Be very careful to allow everything to be from his spirit. Let his Holy Spirit come and transform you. Let his Holy Spirit come and turn your life inside out, upside down, and back to front. And thirdly, make sure that you're going to reach your village, that you're reaching your community. We are here to be God's purpose in Daniel Island. We are here for God to take us and use us. We are here for God to make a difference here by his spirit. But how does that happen? Well, there's a fourth thing, the biggest surprise of all, is that in verse 42 of John 4, Jesus is no longer called the Messiah of the Jews. For the first time, he's called the Savior of the world. The reason we're sitting here this morning is because it's not a Jewish Messiah we've come to worship. It's the world's Savior. Because this one is the Savior of the world, not just the Messiah of the Jews. And it all starts in verse 26 of John 4, when Jesus declares who he is. I hate the British translators of Scripture. Sometimes they are so British, it's sickening. <laughs> and the way that they put in the mouth of Jesus, I who speak to you am he, Ooh. By the way, he didn't say it. 
You can go to the Greek text. There is no evidence for it at all. That is a total mistranslation. Because in the Greek, Jesus says, ego, I me. Anyone speak Greek? Anyone able to do the Greek text? Well, ego is ego, I. And I me is the same as the French, je suis, I am. So what Jesus says is he says, I, I am. Just like he did in the garden when they came to arrest him. He says, I, I am. They fall back at the blasphemy. It's amazing because I, I am is not a verb, it's a noun. It's the name of God. Jesus never said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He never said, I am the true vine. He never said, I am the good shepherd. He never said, I am the door. He said, ego, I me, I, I am the good shepherd. I, I am the door. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why is that important? Because it's God's name. He says, I'm God, so I'm the door. I'm God, so I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm God, so I'm the good shepherd. I'm God, so I'm the, the, the good, I'm the vine. It's amazing how Jesus does it. And that's what happens to the woman. He doesn't say, I who speak to you am he. He says, ego, I me. I, I am. I'm God. It's incredible how people get this idea that Jesus never said he was God. If you've done any Greek, you know he did it time and time again. He changed a verb into a noun and says, I'm God. It's the biggest surprise of all. Why is it so important? He's saying he's the Messiah. There's only four things I wanted to say to you. Do whatever is God's will for your life. Nothing more and nothing less. Find God's path for you and walk in it. Don't do it in your strength. Do it in the power of his Holy Spirit. Be filled, be baptized in the Spirit and let God flood your life and work through you. Realize that your job is not personal survival. It's to bring your village, it's to bring your community to Jesus. It's to transform your world. And it's to proclaim the fact that he is the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world. And that's what he says to the woman. And that's what the bad Samaritan needed to hear. She'd never be the same again. Nor will we, if we live to that. Amen.